0: A regular preacher, Blake Dozier, is not speaking today, but I can guarantee you there's no place he would rather be (laughs) this side of eternity than here with you. And so is with me. Listen, uh, have you ever tried to assemble a piece of furniture from Ikea or a box store? It could be a really frustrating experience. The instructions are in Swedish or Japanese or German. The parts don't seem to fit together. And by the end of it, you're left with a a pile of screws and a sense of defeat. Today, we're going to be talking about being part of God's family and how it can give us hope and confidence and resilience. Even when we feel like it's possibly a do-it-yourself project that's gone wrong. The difference is you don't leave in defeat, but it does require commitment to the project. And here's a tip, especially to the men and maybe even to the women. You have to read the instructions. One of Satan's biggest lies is that he tries to sell us that we're chained to a world that is broke. There's no healing to be had, but in God's family is a place that provides hope and confidence and develops resilience against the forces that promote hopelessness. I don't want to mislead anybody. I think the world's in horrible shape. I think it's even going to get worse. But I fear we act like this is something new. We read in John 14 this morning, so let's look at uh, verse 27 again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither Let them be afraid. A man was walking down the street and noticed a sign in the store window that read, Hope in a Bottle, $50. Intrigued, he went into the store and asked the clerk about the product. The clerk explained, it's a special formula, scientifically uh, proven to increase your sense of hope and optimism. It's guaranteed to work or your money back. The man thought for a moment and said, I'll take it. The next week, the man returned to the store angrily, demanded a refund. This stuff doesn't work. The clerk asked, did you follow the instructions? Did you take it every day? Yes, I did, replied the man. Well, then I'm sorry, said the clerk. There's nothing more we can do. You just have to hope you get a refund. You see, you, I know. You see, that's a perfect description of worldly wisdom, where it promises to give us everything, doesn't deliver, and then asks us to hope anyway. Clearly, that plan's not working. Society and worldly wisdom's answer to almost all problems is to divide us into groups, have us argue and spew contempt at each other, and think that's going to bring about healing. Try that in your marriage. God's answer to problem is to declare that we're all sinners. Every one of us. And we should love each other. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. But it's okay. It's okay. God tells us we can choose to be, to either hope in the failed wisdom of the past and continue to have a world that is broken, or we can go his way and have healing. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians in uh, chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 18 there. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul goes on to say the recipe for healing in this broken world is not built on power or position. And I'd like to add that it's not built on the groups that I belong to. It's not built on the news channels that I watch or maybe even the influencers that I follow. In a world filled with pain and brokenness, our hope in Christ gives us strength, perspective, community, and we need that to have the resilience and to overcome the challenges that we face. It's kind of like a a, a three-legged stool. Hope provides us with a, a sense of purpose and meaning and helps us to focus on the possibilities of the future rather rather than getting us bogged down in the difficulties of the present. It gives us strength to endure hardship. It keeps us moving forward even when things seem impossible. Confidence is the second leg which provides us stability and balance to our hope. When we have confidence in our faith, we're able to take action and pursue our goals with conviction. Confidence allows us to step out of our comfort zone and take risks knowing that God is with us and will guide us through the challenges that we encounter. Resilience is the third leg which helps us to bounce back from setbacks and difficulties. It enables us to persevere in the face of adversity and to learn and grow from our experience. Resilience allows us to adapt to changing circumstances and remain steadfast in our faith and our hope even when things don't go as planned. Together, these three qualities form a strong foundation, enabling us to weather the storms of life and to emerge stronger and more confident on the other side. They provide us with courage and strength, and we need that to face the brokenness of the world around us and be, hope, and be agents of hope and healing to others. And the power of God gives us hope and healing. In Romans it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want us hanging by a thread on our hope. He wants us to have a hope that abounds, that overflows, that permeates who we are and provides a protective shield so that nothing the world has to offer can penetrate that. It's the kind of hope we see in Abraham. In Romans uh, 4, Paul writes, In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offsprings be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distress made him uh, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. The hope of Abraham was so strong that neither time nor physical realities nor the wisdom of the day could diminish his hope in God's promise. The hope in Abraham was not a whisper but a roar that overflowed in all areas of his life. It gave him confidence. When we have hope in God's promises, we too can approach life with confidence knowing that he is with us and will guide us through whatever challenges we may face. And the confidence is not based on our abilities or accomplishments, but on trust in God's faithfulness and love. We often hear the scripture of Philippians 4.13 where it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is not a statement of supernatural powers, or maybe it is. Paul is writing to a church in Philippi to thank them for the support of his ministry, encouraging them to trust in God's provision and to be content in all circumstances, whether in plenty or in want. In verse 13, Paul says that he can endure and overcome anything, both good and good. And bad situations through the strength that comes from his relationship with Christ. In our morning Bible classes, we've been studying about God has assembled his family of believers. Through the creation of the church, we see a confidence in that community. And it was lacking before they came together. Turn with me to Acts 2. We'll be starting in verse 1. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt. In parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome. Both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declare the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? There's two things. Both leave no doubt that what's going on is important. First... There's the sound of a violent wind at this house. It's a loud noise like a rushing wind that something different is going on here and you need to be part of this. If you want to have something to tell the people around you, if you want to contribute to society in ways where other people know that you're in the know, you need to find out what's going on where this loud noise is. The Lord is saying, pay attention. The second thing we see is that everybody was hearing the apostles in their own language, even though they were unlearned Galileans. And they're asking each other, what does this mean? It means God is saying, I'm talking to you. It means there's not going to be any translation here where there's a possibility of misunderstanding. I'm talking to specifically to you in the language You know best. Now listen. So, who was there? We see people from all over the world. Perhaps there were people who said, Crucify him just a few days earlier. Perhaps there were people that stood by as other people said, Crucify him. Perhaps there were people there that had not heard about Jesus. Perhaps even the Roman centurion that said, truly, this was the Son of God, was there. And Peter preaches a message where he tells them, we live in a broken world. Picking up in verse 36. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. This is another way of saying, save yourselves from this broken world. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Don't miss verse 39. The promises for you and your children And for all that are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. In the middle of speaking to the crowd at Pentecost. Peter takes a break. And he speaks to you. And to you. And to you. And to me. And says in our own language. Pay attention. This message is for you. There should be no misunderstanding about what's being said. And we can have confidence that this message is for us. But then what happened? In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe as the the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. they assembled into a church family where they gave to each other. They praised God together. They fellowshiped together. They had favor with all the people around them. God had assembled his church family and they lived in a world that was broken politically, economically, religiously. They faced a government that controlled every aspect of their lives. For those who didn't get to with the program, they were met with harsh punishment, even crucifixion. On top of that, they faced financial challenges. Many Jews were farmers and fishermen, but the Romans controlled the land and the water. The high taxes imposed by the Romans also made it difficult for Jews to prosper financially. And on top of that the two major groups of political, religious leaders were constantly fighting and bickering. By their actions and nature, they were continually contributing to a sense of division and disunity among the people. In the middle of all this, God's family was together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, and enjoying the favor of all the people. I think it's because the people saw in them a hope absent in those who were chained to worldly wisdom. We can be, we can be confident if God could do that then, under those circumstances, he can certainly do it today. God's church family builds confidence. It's a place of community where we can pray, encourage each other, reminding that we're not alone in our struggles. It's a place of worship where we can focus our hearts and minds on God, which gives us confidence in his goodness and faithfulness. It's a place where we can study God's word, which gives us confidence in God's strengths and abilities, even under the most difficult circumstances It gives us a place of service, which gives us confidence in God's power and provision because we can see it in tangible ways. You see, God's church family, it's not a nicety, it's a necessity for healing in a broken world. It was a necessity at Pentecost and it's a necessity today to help us in our hope and confidence. That brings us to our third point for healing in a broken world. Resilience. Resilience is the ability to be able to withstand the onslaught of a broken world across time, through loss and suffering, even if your health fails. Even if your friends turn their back against you. Even if the love of your life does not support you. You see, in the Bible, we see this kind of resilience in the person of Job. Turn with me to Job 1. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions. You've increased his land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand." So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Picking up at verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the older brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking there came another and said the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone had escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another one and said, "The Chaldeans formed three groups, made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I have alone have escaped to tell you." And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, "Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and if fell upon the young people and they're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. People often talk about Job's patience. But I think it's his resilience that's just so remarkable. And then Job's friends show up to cheer him up. Bildad says to him, "How long will you keep you and your children sin to yourself?" Zophar simply states Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. You see, Job's friends were like a bad GPS. They kept telling Job to turn around and go back, even though he was on the right path. But even though that Job's faith was resilient, he had questions about whether God was handling things the right way. In Job 13 and 3 says, But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. In Jobs 23 and 3, it says, Oh that I knew where I might find him, and I might come even to his seat, I would lay my case before him and fill my heart with arguments. Job's questions are compelling and have all the forward motion of an aircraft carrier. Stick with me here. You see, a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier takes roughly four miles to come to a complete stop when traveling at speed. And it's important to note that an aircraft carrier typically doesn't stop abruptly. And neither do we when we get it into our head that God is not in control. So God shows up to address these questions in chapter 38, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. God continues in response to Job by asking him, are you really questioning that I know what I'm doing? Where were you when I created the world? Light, darkness, the sea, snow, hail, lightning, thunder, the behavior of wild animals and their instincts of which their survival depends. Job thought he had compelling reasons to challenge God. And with aircraft carrier determination, he was not going to be denied. But it turns out that when an aircraft carrier realizes they're on a destructive course, in extreme circumstances, they can deploy emergency measures with sea anchors and propulsion systems in full reverse and stop in less than half a mile. Job realizes he's in an extreme circumstance where he's off course and he stops immediately and concedes to God that he's in control and he knows what he's doing. In 42, in uh, verse 2, Job answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that uh, hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I've got a confession to make. I'm not Job. I desperately want my resilience to be unshakable. And it's the reason why I need to be part of a church family. Where I can be strengthened by the community, by the worship, by the study, by the service, where I can focus my heart and my mind on God. And that can give me confidence in His goodness and in His faithfulness. So, summarizing, God shows up to Job in a whirlwind and says, Pay attention. I'm talking to you. There should be no misunderstanding. I've got this. God shows up at Pentecost to the sound of a great rushing wind and says, Pay attention. I'm talking to you. There should be no misunderstanding. I've got this. God speaks to us today and says, Pay attention. I'm talking to you there should be no misunderstanding. I've got this. We know what Abraham and Peter and Job knew, that while Satan is screaming that this world is broke and there's no healing to be had, nothing could be further from the truth. God says, let me give you peace. Don't be worried or afraid. I've got this in a way that brings hope and peace and confidence, and resilience. Satan wants us to be chained to the lies that things are bad and they're going to get worse, and there is no relief. There is relief. There's relief now. There's relief in Christ Jesus. There's relief in his church, which is an oasis of healing and joy, and there is nothing the world can do about it. Maybe you'd like to be part of that oasis, be part of the family of God, to put Jesus on in baptism. Or perhaps you don't have the resilience that you once had. Or perhaps you just want to come forward and say, I'm hurting. Give me hope. If you have any need, won't you come as we sing the song that's been selected?